you to each one who participated in our service tonight. And uh, thank you all for your participation in our Thanksgiving service this morning. Certainly found it to be of uh, great encouragement, and I was personally blessed by uh, the many different uh, testimonies that were offered this morning, so thank you very much. We're continuing tonight in our study of the attributes of God, considering the knowledge of God. What does God know? And so we speak of the omniscience or omniscience of God, the fact that God knows all things. The knowledge of God is a communicable attribute of God, which means that God has knowledge and we have knowledge also. It is an attribute that we share in common with God, but certainly God's knowledge far exceeds our own. So the goals in studying the communicable attribute of God's knowledge would include for this evening, first, to seek to understand how God's knowledge differs from our own. Second, to seek to bring our understanding into conformity with God's understanding. And third, to promote the worship of God for superior knowledge and understanding. Obviously, we cannot exhaust this subject tonight, but we want to give some introductory thoughts concerning the knowledge of God. First, God's knowledge is far superior to our own. That should not shock us or amaze us. That doesn't come as some great revelation from on high. But yet, it's worth considering. First, we learn that God's knowledge knows no limit. Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Infinite. There is nothing that God does not know. There is nothing that he does not understand. Certainly that differs from our knowledge, which is by no means limited. Uh, excuse me, which is by uh, no means limitless. God, when you think about his knowledge, uh, God does not increase in knowledge. God does not learn. God does not develop. God does not know more tomorrow than he does today. He did not know less yesterday than what he knows right now. God doesn't learn. God knows all things, has always known all things, and will always know all things. So God's knowledge is superior to our own. Isaiah 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, say the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Not only do we not know what God knows, but our knowledge pales in comparison to God's knowledge. There is a world of difference 
in our understanding. Uh, a world of difference. As high as the heavens are than the earth. His thoughts are much deeper. His thoughts are much richer. His thoughts are much fuller than any thoughts that we will ever possess. Not only are they different in kind, meaning that we think about things that are less than what God thinks about, they're different in, even in intensity. God knows more than we know about any particular subject. So, we must guard against trying to stand in judgment over God's declaration of truth. Trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. What arrogance it is for mankind to stand in judgment over God. For mankind to think that we know more than God knows. Or to question His revelation. Uh, to doubt His revealed Word to us, the Holy Scriptures. Why in the world would we ever begin to speculate or wonder about what God has revealed to us when we understand how much deeper, how much fuller His knowledge really is? So we should be humbled as we think about God's great knowledge. Secondly, God knows all things as they have been. God has a perfect memory, and we do not. You may have heard the phrase that uh, hindsight is 2020, uh, meaning that you have a perfect understanding once you've gone through it. Well, that's not exactly true. And it's not true for a number of reasons. First, mankind forgets things. Deuteronomy 9, verse 7. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at the place you have been rebellious against the Lord. So we need to remember and not forget. God does not forget. Psalm 9, verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples his deeds. For he who requires remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. We have an imperfect recollection of what has taken place in the past. God does not. John 14, 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and then this statement, and remind you of everything I have said to you. So the disciples would forget what Jesus had taught them, what he instructed them in, and the Holy Spirit would be given to them to bring to recollection, to bring to remembrance, to help them remember the things that they had forgotten about what uh, Jesus had spoken. And then we're to be comforted with the idea that God never forgets. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Uh, mankind did its best. A nursing mother. Would a nursing mother ever forget their child? You would think not. And the scripture says, well, that may happen. 
But God will never forget us. My wife comes from a, a family of eight children. And uh, I've heard a lot of stories about their family with their eight children traveling. And uh, on one instance, the youngest was left at a uh, truck stop. When the, the family had stopped and pulled over and reused the bathrooms and so on. And they left and the youngest was left behind. They thought she was in the car, but she wasn't. They didn't really forget her, but somehow they left without her. Okay? Uh, but God never forgets us. Next, God's knowledge is superior to ours because God knows all things as they actually are and we do not. We do not. We don't have a perfect knowledge even of that which we experience. We don't even know our own hearts, let alone other people's hearts. We should not judge people's hearts, for we do not know them. So Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, But to me it is a small thing that I should be examined by you, or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. So Paul seeks to put the Corinthians in their place, if you will, as they are passing judgment upon Paul, his motives, and his ministry. And Paul says, it's really a small thing that I'm judged by you. It doesn't really bother me. I don't really care that much. Because you don't know. And you don't fully understand. We don't even fully understand our own hearts. That is what motivates us. Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, For I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Paul said as he looked at his life and he looked at his ministry, he said he was not aware of anything that would ultimately disqualify him or cause him to lose favor in the eyes of the Corinthians. But he said, that doesn't excuse me. That doesn't acquit me. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It just means that I'm blind to that. It's amazing how many areas of our own lives we can be blind to, that we can be insensitive to, that we can be unaware of the things that we do, how we hurt people. We have a real difficulty many times, even in trying to discern the motivations for what we do. I'm a very introspective person. Perhaps you may be as well. And it's hard sometimes to even know if the good we do is done for the right reasons or if there are other compelling reasons. And as we search our hearts, we cannot know them. Therefore, God is the only one fit to pass judgment. 1 Corinthians 4 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment. If we don't know our own hearts and we don't know the hearts of other people, then why do we have a tendency to judge other people's motives and to find fault with what they do? Because we don't know. We don't know. God's knowledge of us should be humbling. First Samuel 2.3 Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows. 
and by him deeds are weighed. People have a tendency to speak very proudly and very boldly when they don't think that the people around them know about secret sins or weaknesses in their lives. But God knows all about us. He hears every word and he weighs them against the reality of who and what we are. As I said, we do not know the hearts of others, but God does. Matthew 9, 4, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Luke 16, 15, And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. We do not know the circumstances of every individual's life, but God does. We don't know what people are going through. We don't know what their experiences are this day. We don't know what happened to them in the morning. We don't know what's going to take what's taken place just before they came to church. We may see people and see tears in their eyes. And we may wonder what it is that has upset them. And we may jump to some conclusions as to what's going on in their lives. And we could be as far out of left field as one could imagine. We don't know the circumstances of people's lives. But Jesus knows them perfectly. In John 14, in John 4.17, the woman at the well, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You must be uh, sent from God to know these things about me. Uh, she had never met Jesus before. Jesus had never met her. But he understood all that had taken place in her life. God knows every single circumstance of our lives. He knows our uprising. He knows our down-sitting he knows our thoughts are far off. God's knowledge contributes to God being a perfect judge. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give each man according to his ways. God's judgment will be perfect. God will make no mistakes because he understands all that takes place. I remember years ago when Sarah and Suki were really little and they were having a uh, fight and uh, I disciplined Suki rather uh, strongly only to find out later that I was totally mistaken about the entire situation. Uh, I had blown it. I had jumped to a conclusion that was wrong. And uh, they were little. They were probably six and four. But I remember having to pull her up in my lap and uh, to ask for her forgiveness because I really didn't understand what was happening uh, between the two of them, what really had taken place. Well, you see, God never has to apologize for his judgments, for his decisions. He will make no mistakes. He warns us. Even about judging who is a believer and who is not. 
The parable of the tares is a parable about the tares were weeds that looked very much like, uh, like weeds until they were fully grown. And of course, the tares would not produce grain. And so in the parable, these tares are not going to produce grain, but he warns the disciples about pulling up the tares lest they pull up the wheat also. We don't really know people's hearts and minds. We, we tend to talk like we do. That's why I much prefer when people make a profession of faith to refer to it as just that, a profession of faith, rather than to say, today, three people got saved. Because I don't know. I don't know. I know that people made a profession of faith. Judging not only includes the negative of not condemning, but judging also includes the positive of not reinforcing that which isn't true. You know, you have to be very, very careful in dealing with individuals as to whether or not they are really born again. Uh, Sometimes it's very difficult to know, and we need to be careful in reassuring people that they are born again when perhaps they're not. D. God's knowledge contributes to God's being a perfect judge. I guess I just said that. Moving on. E. Because we do not know these things, we are not to judge one another, but rather wait for the future judgment. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. There is a time for judgment. That time is not today. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. On the day of judgment, there are going to be crowns that are given. There are going to be words of praise and affirmation. I think that we're probably going to be surprised on that day as to who is going to receive praise from God. And we may be surprised at who does not receive praise from God. Uh, Many, many times we are unaware of the good that other people are doing. That's one of the the blessings that I have as a pastor. I certainly don't know everyone. I don't know all the things that people are doing, but sometimes I gain some glimpses and know some things that people are doing that are really terrific that nobody else knows about. They're not bragging. They're not speaking about their endeavors every day. They're not talking about all the things they're doing. But it it brings joy to my heart. And I would just say to you, be be careful in assuming that certain things aren't being done. Don't jump to the conclusion that nobody cares about this or, or nobody's doing that. Because there are a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes in the lives of individuals in which they are reaching out and touching other people that only a handful of individuals would know about. So, be careful not to judge things ahead of time. In preparation for the future judgment, we should beseech God reveal our hearts to us now. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a terrific psalm that speaks about the attributes of God. 
It speaks about his presence. Whether shall I go from thy, thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed sure, behold, thou art there. You are present with me always. It speaks about his, his omnipresence. It also speaks about his omniscience. The Lord knows my down city from my uprising. The Lord knows my thought afar off. He understands everything about me, is Psalm 139. And the concluding thought of Psalm 139, after going through these wonderful attributes of God, is, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Uh, The psalmist invites God into his life to thoroughly search him. And he's not giving permission at that point, for God knows all things. The psalmist makes it clear that he can hide nothing from God. He's asking God to search him so that the psalmist will know his heart. He's asking God to reveal the psalmist's heart to the psalmist. One of the great blessings of reading the Word of God is it brings conviction. And conviction is just a fancy word for saying it brings to light. It brings to our own understanding our sinfulness, where we have gone astray, where we have failed to do what we ought or we did what we should not have done. But as I said, there are many blind spots that we have. And so it does this, well, it behooves us to on a regular basis ask God to show us ourselves to reveal to us what we don't even know or, or see. To be sensitive and receptive to the criticism that we may receive from others because they may see some things in us that we don't see in ourselves. Humility when it comes to understanding ourselves. Fourthly, God knows all things future, both practical and speculative. First, God has a practical knowledge of the future. That is, God has a simple awareness of all that is future. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He doesn't need us to tell Him what we need. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And so as Moses enters into ministry, as Moses is called to go to the land of Egypt, God reveals to Moses early on. It's a burning bush. He says to Moses, and oh, by the way, he's not going to let you go right away. Moses, the uh, reaction of Pharaoh is not hidden. From, from God. Likewise, uh, Isaiah is told that he's going to go to a stiff-necked people that are not going to repent. God knows what is going to take place. So God is aware of our needs. Matthew 6, 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God is aware of our thoughts before we think them. You know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. And now, verse 4 of Psalm 139. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Before I speak it, before I think it, you know what I'm going to say, and you know what I think. My wife 
thinks that she knows what I think. And she thinks she knows what I'm going to say before I say it. And sometimes answers before I even get done. But the reality is, she doesn't. And the reality is, before I know it, God knows it. God knows it. God is aware of our future events before they occur. But I know that the king of Egypt will not go unless a mighty hand compels him. God interacts with all that is future. His infinite knowledge can do more than predict future events. He can and does establish them as well. He can do more than look into a crystal ball. He is the ultimate time traveler. Meaning that uh, I used to love uh, the uh, show Quantum Leap. Remember Quantum Leap? Anybody remember that show? Raise your hand. Remember Quantum Leap? Yeah, it's a good show. And it was uh, about uh, this uh, Sam Beckett that would travel through time and uh, make differences in people's lives. Well, you see, it's not simply that God knows what's taking place, but He, in His knowledge, interacts with what is taking place. He not only knows it, He, he controls it. That, that knowledge is applied in a very specific way in the Scriptures. And that is that God has a special relationship to His people before we were born. And this is referred to in the Scripture as knowledge. As knowledge. It's a part of His, his knowledge. It is experiential knowledge. It is intimate knowledge. It would be the same kind of knowledge that the King James speaks of when it says that Adam knew Eve and she conceived and brought forth a son. To know there is not just purely a euphemism to have sex, although it is that, but it's not just a euphemism. It's talking about an intimacy that existed between Adam and Eve. And the scripture teaches us that there was an intimacy that existed on God's part with us before we were even born. So A, God has a special relationship to his people before they were born. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Meaning that more than just had awareness of, but actual had a relationship to Jeremiah. That relationship is described as, verse 5, I consecrated you. I set you apart. Verse 5, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before you were made, before you were created, before you were born, I had a plan for your life. And that plan is being worked out. God does not have this special relationship to the unborn who are not his people. So here knowledge is about a relationship. A relationship. We use the word know in that same sense 
even in English. Someone might say to you, do you know Pastor Reed? And you would say, yeah, I, I, I know him. Okay. Somebody else may be asked the question, you know Pastor Reed? And they might say, well, I know of him would be a good response. Meaning, yeah, I, I know him. I, I've heard of him. Uh, I know where he lives, but I don't really know much about him. I don't go to his church and, and so on. But, but I'd recognize him. And uh, so they know them to some degree. Okay. Here, the, the idea is that, that God has an intimate, personal relationship to his own. But there are a whole other group of people that, describe, that, the Bible, that the Bible says he does not know. For example, Matthew 7.22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness. Now, when it says that God never knew them, it doesn't mean that he was unaware of them. It doesn't mean they didn't know they existed. It doesn't mean he doesn't know what they have done. He's saying, I never had a relationship to you. Never did. Not that they had a salvation and lost it. He says, I never had a relationship to you. And again, the idea that we can't judge people's hearts and minds, look at what these people say they've done. Prophesied your name, cast out demons, and your name performed many miracles. Would we not think that anybody could do that was saved? Wouldn't we? If you saw someone do that, wouldn't you think they were saved? Does anybody really fit this category? We've got a prime example in Judas. When Judas betrays Jesus, and Jesus announced that someone's going to betray him, they all want to know who it is. They don't jump to the conclusion that it's Judas. They don't say, you know, we always wondered why he couldn't do any miracles. All the rest of us, we were healing and, and we were, you know, we were dividing up the loaves. And... Eleven of us came back with big basketfuls. And then Judas, he came back and his basket was empty. And we always wondered about why was his basket empty? Well, it wasn't empty. Remember there were twelve disciples? They distributed and twelve baskets came back. He did miracles. He healed but he never had a true saving relationship with God. And Jesus made it clear when he chose Judas that he chose him knowing that he was going to be a betrayer. And he made him an apostle for that very reason. And Jesus knew something that they didn't know. And that is that Judas was always a pretender. Always a pretender. And if you remember the incident when uh, the woman comes and, and uh, anoints uh, Jesus and they complain about uh, the money that is being wasted because it would be given to the poor, Judas starts that and then 
the scripture tells us he said that because he was a thief. And he stole what was in the, the bags. Other apostles didn't know that Judas was a thief. Jesus knew that he was a thief. Judas didn't just become a betrayer out of the, out of the blue. That's who and what he was. See, God knew us long before we knew him. Galatians 4.8 However, at this time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by nature who are no gods. Well, we're running out of time here. Let's go to Romans 8.28. And we know that, all God, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. You see, again, foreknow doesn't simply mean to be aware of. He is aware of everybody. He's talking about those that he had a relationship to before they were born. Just as in Jeremiah. Those that he had a special relationship to, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. It's not what he knew about us. It's about a relationship that he chose to have to us. Next, God has speculative knowledge. He knows all things that are possible or as they actually could be. God is aware of all the choices and any decisions he makes. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or being his counselor has taught him? No one taught him about how to be a creator. He knew all of the choices that he had to make. We don't even understand what of all of our choices are. We get caught in what is referred to as a paradigm. Uh, we are told we need to learn to think outside the box. That is that we have a tendency to, to look at things pretty narrowly and fail to see other opportunities, other avenues that we could, we could go into. We are very limited in our understanding of what can be done. I always marvel at, at inventors, people who are creative, who can come up with ways of doing things that no one has ever done them before. That is incredible. To think that Leonardo da Vinci came up with the concept of a helicopter even before there was a gas engine or anything like that. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. God knows all of the choices that he had in creation. Secondly, God knows the outcome of any decision that he will make. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He's also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from beginning even to the end. God knows not only what he's going to do, he knows the outcome of it. There is what is referred to as unattended consequences. That is when legislators pass laws and determine to do things and don't realize all the ramifications of it once it's laid out, once that choice is made. Many times in life we make choices and we don't realize there are unattended circumstances. There's a fallout of our decisions. It doesn't turn out the way we'd hoped or the way that it expected. Never with God. He's not surprised by any outcome. He knows what is going to take place. I'm rushing here just to finish. Let's look at the application. First, 
God's knowledge of us is a comfort in knowing that God is aware of all that we are going through. Job 23.10, he knows the way that I take. Job was very much aware that God knew all that was taking place in his life. And God knows all that is taking place in our lives. That shouldn't just create fear, it should create comfort. He understands. He understands. We may say we understand, we don't. God really understands. In times of weariness and weakness, believers comfort themselves with the thought that God knows and understands our limitations. Not, does he, not only does He know our circumstances, but He's very much aware of our limitations. Psalm 103.14 For He knows how we are formed. He remembers the word dust. We have higher expectation of ourselves than God does. We have an inflated ego. We think we can do more than we can. Even as Simon Peter, when he was told that he was going to uh, deny the Lord Jesus, Simon says, everyone else may deny you, but I will not deny you. I'm willing to die for you. To which Jesus replies, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He acknowledges the sincerity of Peter when he says it. Peter really believes that no matter what, he was willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. He believed that with all his heart. Jesus says, I know you believe that, but you don't know your own weakness. You don't know your own limitations. God knows our limitations. That's an encouragement for when we fail. When we don't keep our vows. When we don't act as we, we ought. In times of personal doubt and suspicion, as well as times of confidence, we can appeal to Him to reveal to us our own hearts. D. When our outward actions do not square with our inward devotion, we can rest assured that the Lord knows our hearts. When Jesus asked John, Do you love me? The third time He said to him, Simon, son of John, John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because... Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus answered, feed my sheep. It's wonderful to know that God knows our hearts. Because sometimes our hearts are in the right place. I remember a situation that I ran into when I was a youth pastor at the Blandon Church. And I did something that was really stupid. And... Uh, I went to a board of elders meeting and they called me on it because it was stupid. And they told me it was stupid. And they were right. And I got a pretty good lashing from the board of elders. And then after the lashing, one of the elders who had directly affected his son, what I had done, that elder said to me, but Cal, we know your heart. It's okay. We know that you meant to do well. What a comfort. I had blown it. But then they said, but we understand. It's wonderful to know that God knows our hearts. And there are times in real sincerity, when we really want to do what's right, we blow it. But God knows that we wanted to do what was right. When our prayers seem inadequate because we do not know how to pray... We take solace in the Holy Spirit who knows all things and is praying for us. 
Romans 8.26, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. You ever feel inadequate to pray? Have you ever said, I don't even know how to pray? Have you ever laid in bed and, and wondered how to even form this thought to get around what it is that's bothering you? You don't even know what's bothering you? You're upset and you don't even know why you're upset. God knows. God knows. And as you lay there and you don't know what to say, He can say it for you. Your prayers are heard perfectly. God never misunderstands us. He understands exactly what we're saying. We can take comfort knowing that nothing about us escapes the knowledge of God. You know when I sit down, when I rise. Nothing is too insignificant. God doesn't just read the the headlines. One of the difficulties about the modern day and age in which we live in, at least from my perspective, is there's a tendency not to read entire books. People read excerpts of books now. They read the highlights. They, they uh, read the, the, the major points. But they don't sit down and read a book from cover to cover. Rather, they read blogs. They read excerpts. They read parts. God doesn't just know the highlights, just the headlines, excerpts from our lives. He knows every single aspect, every single day, every single minute, every single hour. So, we must learn to rely upon God as the ultimate source of truth and knowledge and thus submit to His wisdom and instruction. Once again, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He shall make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. So, let's not be wise and stand in judgment of God, but let us be humble and receive His Word as our final and ultimate instruction. Let's pray.